We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Now it's time for Inside the Clubhouse, a show dedicated to the Chicago baseball fan, featuring the best Chicago baseball conversation as well as the big MLB topics, along with the biggest names, greatest guests, and listener interaction. Starring Score Baseball Insider Bruce Levine and Matt Spiegel. It all starts right here, right now on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 6thescore.com, Chicago's sports station. And a good Saturday morning to you, baseball humans, Chicago people, those around the country looking to check in on the Cubs, the White Sox, and all things baseball. It is inside the clubhouse on the score. I'm Matt Spiegel. He's Bruce Levine. Good morning, Bruce. Good morning, Matt. Uh, yeah, it's a pretty day out there. It's going to warm up a bit, uh, more like uh, springtime than some of the, day, day, the days we've been dealing with. But yet uh, we are here to talk some baseball with you, to give you the latest on the latest rumors about baseball coming back. And we we use that with all due respect to uh, the people that are putting those stories out there. But uh, they are still rumors. We are not solid about any uh, timetable, though we feel uh, that uh, some of the cities and some of the states are getting closer to having these deep conversations with the sports officials and in most, most particular Rob Manfred in baseball about being able to come back and have spring trainings. We'll talk about that throughout this show. Uh, going to get into the draft here in our first segment and uh, the ramifications of a shortened draft. And our guest today will be Andre Dawson, former Cub and Hall of Famer, as well as Herm Schneider to talk about Michael Jordan and his quest for baseball and Herm helping train Michael initially to get his baseball skills going. I'm looking forward to that. Herm Schneider, an interesting um, medical character in the, for the White Sox and for baseball for a long time, and has not really talked a, a whole lot. And as the whole town is kind of consumed with the last dance and Michael in baseball, it'd be good to talk to Herm. And there's other White Sox things we can talk to him about. And and the Hawk is, the Hawk is, Hawk is the best. And he's been involved in some work stoppages. He knows a little thing or two about uh, collusion and, uh, and 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 ownership. And that is certainly. Um, it's, you know, not collusion, but the viewpoint of the owners and the negotiation tenor between the owners and the players is certainly part of the backdrop of what we're dealing with uh, these days. Matt, That's for what sure. What, what is your, yeah, I'm sorry. What is your uh, capacity for the rumor per jour, uh, du jour rather, the, the rumor of the week about how baseball will get started? As a baseball fan, take your... Take your uh, you know, broadcaster's hat off. And as a baseball fan, 
what is, mm-hmm. uh, what, how, how much uh, validity do you put in all of these rumors? And how do you think this is all playing out with fan bases out there? I think it's interesting because I think things are getting floated and, and then being shot down by some of the players and, and the realities of, um, of, of our country in terms of COVID-19 is so, is so confusing. And at its best, it is, it's pessimistic. Like at, at, at its best and its, and its most realistic, I don't think that anything's going to happen before June 1 or the middle of June or even July 1. Like, I I just feel timelines keep getting pushed. Like, how can you ask players to do some of this stuff? So as much as I want baseball and I want to get excited and I do get excited by some of the ideas, I it, it, it it's just too soon to be thinking about asking players to deal with the possible ramifications of of putting themselves at risk, let alone the negotiation stuff, which we'll get into in a little bit. But I, I, when I hear this stuff, I'm thinking, okay, well, all right, that's that's interesting, that's interesting. But if we get baseball on July 1 with some kind of shortened spring training, I would be thrilled. If we get baseball on August 1 with some yeah. kind of shortened spring training in July, I would still be thrilled. I would take that right now in a heartbeat if uh, if we were offered it. Three one two six four four six seven six seven. That's the number to reach Matt and me. Uh, the rest of the show, we're on until eleven o'clock. Uh, as I said, uh, Herm Schneider will be joining us at the top of the ten o'clock hour. Andre Dawson at nine thirty to talk about work stoppages and everything baseball with us on the north and south side of town as well. Uh, Matt, uh, the, the draft has uh, been solidified and agreed upon by both uh, baseball ownership and the players association let's delve into that well rounds six through 40 of the mlb draft bruce are not going to take place and i know they they talked about this a while back and as part of the negotiations the owners got the right to reduce this to five rounds and yesterday around 5 30 or so it became official they're reducing it to five rounds what that means is that more than a thousand players who would have been drafted this year will not and that that is now official Next year's draft is going to be at least 20 rounds, so from 40 down to five, and then 20 next year, probably. Um, but you know, the minor leagues are going to end up greatly reduced, and this is this has been brewing. This has been building towards this kind of thing, and what we have right now, Bruce, is is ownership saying, "Look, the uh, our financial situation is dire. We need to do this right now." Um, but the message to, in my mind that it's sending to young athletes is a brutal one because baseball has always struggled to recruit young athletes and want and help young athletes want to make a life in baseball. But the chances now to exist are just not there for more than a thousand players in this particular draft and in general to say, you know, um, once you've gone past Little League, once you've trying to once you're trying to decide what career don't choose baseball that that is unfortunately that's the message that i think is gonna is gonna get across to a lot of young players when they see this kind of thing and and i worry about the short-sightedness of this in terms of ownership about about saving some money right now but really damaging the future of the game when you do this kind of thing and i I look at it as that uh 
scouting is going to be much more important uh, as uh, time goes on. If they adhere to this, Matt, as a template for the future, I believe yeah. that uh, scouting and scouts will be more essential because you'll have your five to ten rounds. They'll hold it to that, maybe 15 or 20, like you said, uh, for next year. But when they negotiate a new CBA, it might be less after 2021. And the, the advent of scouts being more important again by going out there and finding those diamonds in the rough, uh, no pun intended, uh, players that were not drafted, players that not, were not signed but are out there in independent leagues or at college and mm. uh, can be signed for less money, which is the goal of ownership, that meaning that uh, you know, other than these quote-unquote top players that are signed, and again, you know, we know that in Major League Baseball right now, uh, of drafted players, 45% were drafted around six or higher. Um, mm-hmm. there, there is a lot of work to be done uh, by old-time scouting if indeed the, this type of system holds up. Yeah, absolutely. And, and these guys who are not drafted this year can sign as unrestricted free agents, but the maximum is $20,000 that can be spent on them. Um, and that's very, very low compared to what the bonuses have been, what the signings have been for rounds six and beyond. It, it, it seems like this is going to save each team a pretty small amount, but an amount that they'll be able to use to pay current staff. And we know teams teams are struggling. A lot of teams have not agreed to pay their employees beyond the end of May. Some teams have furloughed employees or downright fired employees. Um, but, you know, I, I'm interested in how this is going to translate to the continuing negotiations between the players union and the owners, Bruce, no. as they try to figure out, like, how they're going to work this season. Like, are you going to pay the players their their full rate if you have no games with no fans? This is right now. This is the owners saying, look, this is how dire it is, is that we have to do this and use the undrafted or the lowly drafted um, amateurs, the lowly paid amateurs. We have to use them as pawns. Um, and the union is part of that. The union is part of of, of that reality. The development system in baseball appears to be changing very rapidly. And by that, I'm saying you, you have this curtailed draft. You're going to have likely no minor league uh, season. Uh, the likelihood is that most players from teams' organizations are going to go to their spring training camps and uh, do their work that way, playing uh, games uh, inter-squad or with teams in their areas either in Arizona and Florida. And that means development will not be what you want it to be in the minor Mm. leagues this year. And you will have a truncated draft. And you have the CBA in 2021. All that tells you that the way that they spend money in the future is going to be different than what they do now. And this is a template this year for what they would like to do in the future as far as how they look at minor leagues, how they look at development, and how they look at realistically at, you know, do young players and having a good farm system, is that the way to go? Or do we uh, allow people like back in the 20s and 30s and 40s uh, to uh, go out there and just scout players who weren't signed and bring them in and uh, make the best offer they can to them uh, and uh, and and get it done that way. Uh, 
a very different way to look at baseball hmm. going forward. Well, within the game, I'm curious to how people are feeling about this. I, I, you know, you talk to a lot of people within the game, Bruce, and I know, I know there are some people in baseball operations, some executives who hate this truncating of the draft and the minimization of the minors because they're they're used to finding their guys by throwing a lot of bodies at it. You know, drafting a lot of people, having a lot of minors, and and then the cream will rise to the top. Um, but from the owner's perspective, I think they really believe that it's inefficient, that the way they've done things in the past in terms of the minors is inefficient. And there's some there's some sense to that. I I I I know that 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 they feel that way, and and there's some sense to that. I think teams are going to end up taking a little bit more control of development than allowing certain minor league organizations to do it, right? Well, I, I guess I just I just see a whole new system, you know, coming up because uh, you know they I believe ownership and and some baseball teams will talk themselves into the reality that look, all the money we put toward the draft and all the development money that we spend and all these minor league teams that we have to uh, pay for each player, uh, it's just not worth it. We just don't develop enough players for this type of system to work for us uh, legitimately. Uh, we, can, we, can, uh, we can watch these players develop elsewhere. We can watch them develop in college. Uh, they can, mm. We can have more players that we sign uh, later on after the draft out of college. We can sign teams out of the independent leagues. We can continue to sign international free agents and we can we can more importantly curtail the amount of money we spend so that we backstep this to a more reasonable amount of money what these players are actually worth at this developmental stage you know they they point to the nba they point to nfl when they draft those players they're instantly performing at the top level major league baseball yeah. as we know it takes a long time sometimes in most cases to get there and then uh, what value are you once you get there are you a top line performer are you a middle range performer are you a bench player are you a three to four year player so this this system uh i, I believe ownership would like to change dramatically well it, it, I, I think it's incredibly short-sighted and it and I, I hate it personally bruce i just feel like this, it, this thing, this dra the draft, it ends up paying for itself. Like if owners are saving a million dollars or two million dollars, if you find one major leaguer between round six and round twenty, right. that that ends up paying for itself. It ends up paying for itself right there that you have found them, and right. and you gave the number earlier that forty five percent of the drafted players in MLB in twenty nineteen were taken in the sixth round or later. I think this is this is billionaires finding a way to save a relatively small amount of money and biting off their nose to spite the face. Yeah, but let, let's look at the Cubs and White Sox. They both have gone through not, uh, not a couple years, not three years, not five years, but somewhat close to a decade at times without developing uh, any player of worth in their organizations. Uh, that is a fact, okay? You, you can look at Doug Glanville being signed by the Chicago Cubs back in 1991, and then go forward eight or nine years uh, before you found a, a number one pick or any pick of any real significance other than a few pitchers along the way in lower rounds that had any impact whatsoever 
for a decade with the Chicago Cubs. You can look at the White Sox the very same way and look at the dearth of production from their number one picks until you get to Tim Anderson and you go all the way back, uh, you know, to maybe the time uh, that they they uh, signed um, Ray Durham uh, back in the, in, uh, the 90s. Uh, that, that is, those are long periods of time that owners look at and point to and say, you know, is this really the system where we want to put, you know, double-digit millions of dollars into drafting and developing and coming up with nothing? I understand, but but I would argue it's because they were bad at it. Like in the same time frame, when the teams that were good at it, like the Twins, built themselves a system, or the Cardinals, who have relentlessly drafted well and developed well, it is still the most cost-efficient way to produce the greatest asset in the game, which is cheap, young talent, and have it. So you can bring it up and then maybe use it to trade or use it to help your team. And just because you're bad at it doesn't mean it was the wrong the wrong way to go about doing it. It's true. And the other part of it, Matt, is who you keep and who you trade. You may develop initially good young players. You trade your, you know, sometimes to, to try to win, as the Cubs did, by trading yep. Gleyber Torres, by trading Jimenez, by trading Cease. And, uh, you know, and then the, the revisionist part of it is, was it worth it? Was it worth that World Series to trade you know, one guy who's going to be a superstar for the next 10 years in, uh, in Torres and Jimenez and Cease on the way up with the White Sox. So those things are also important as far as development goes and, and, and the, the way that you, uh, you make trades. But uh, what have the greatest, the greatest uh, dynasty of the last 25 years occurred by mistake? And that was when the New York Yankees had George Steinbrenner on the suspended list of owners back in the 1990s, and he was not able to work the day-to-day operation and trade all the young players for veteran players uh, or sign free agent players to try to win. During that period of time when he was suspended, Gene Michael, the general manager of the Yankees at that time, held on to Derek Jeter, held on to Bernie Williams, held on to Gerald Williams, held on to to Andy Pettit, (laughs) held on to all these guys that were instrumental in them being the dynasty of the late 90s and early 2000s, and really the last, you know, dynasty uh, of any sort in Major League Baseball. So all those things are relevant, you know, as far as what you're saying about drafting properly, holding on to your players, seeing them develop if you do it right. Uh, and again, doing it right is a big part of it, as you said. But, but there, is, there is a lot of conversation among owners as to how the draft uh, needs to change and how it's really over-monetized at this point in time. I, I think, Bruce, that there is a medium here that can exist and hopefully will end up existing where, okay, you don't want 40 rounds, fine. Five is ridiculous. Um, 20, 25 rounds. Okay, that that you know, let, let's work with that and get better. Get better. Get more efficient. You want to be more efficient in development? Okay, fine. You, you're frustrated at seeing guys that you pay $150,000 to never make it to AAA. I understand. Okay, so get better and work at it and streamline it a little bit. 
But this going down to five rounds and and pretending that you can't afford it is what feels so gross right now. I guess what I'm worried about, Bruce, is the is the owners playing hardball like this. Like there's been so many times over the last couple of months where you and I have talked about, hey, it's great to see the owners and the players working together. Um, doesn't doesn't feel that that way anymore. I think like the bleep is hitting the fan for a lot of these people, and the well, owners are saying, "Look, it's we're in trouble. We're in trouble. Get ready for us to play hardball with you." Let's make one distinction, Matt, and that is the players caved in on these young players. They didn't have to. Okay, they caved in to get the 170 million dollars for they April did. and May uh, for their major league players to divide up. That was a part of the negotiation. They could have kept negotiating. They could have found the, uh, the money somewhere else. But instead, they are complicit in uh, taking this draft down to five rounds. So they are not off the hook when it comes to taking care of their brethren and the future are, of the draft. You are absolutely correct, Bruce. And in fact, they were offered a 10-round draft with bonuses cut in half between round six and 10. And they said no, thinking that ownership would buckle and give them the full bonuses and do a 10-round draft. And instead, ownership said, okay, screw you. We'll just do five rounds. So they cost their brethren another five rounds. Money Mm -hmm. talks and BS walks. We know it. It it, it applies to everything, and that it applies to this as well. So uh, both sides are doing the best they can to get as much revenue as they can and uh, be able to exist. Um, I don't fault either side for that. But like you say, Matt, at what cost for the future of baseball and development? Yeah, I guess it really it speaks to the way that we see corporations operating, where the the lowest paid are the ones who end up, um, you know, being valued the least sometimes. Hey, leave me is... out of it, okay? <laughs> All right. Oh boy, that's not fair. <laughs> hey, we have a we have a, a great show for you. Uh, we hope you enjoy, you join us at three one two six four four six seven six seven. Uh, Andre Dawson, the Hall of Famer, joining us next. Herm Schneider, at the top of the hour, uh, you are always valued, and you are a part of this show as well. Text Matt at 67011. This hour is brought to you by Cars for Kids. Call 1-877-CARS-FOR-KIDS. Yes, Andre Dawson next, and, uh, and Herm Schneider, and your calls and your texts all along the way. You're listening to Inside the Clubhouse right here on 670 The Score. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network, from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Ross and Court to the center. How far did you hit that one, Andre? That ball went more than 450 feet, I would guess, Tim. Well, all you have to do is watch the reaction of Ken Griffey Jr. (laughs) I'll tell you, 
Roger the Rocket Clemens was aptly named after that pitch. What a rocket. Oh, that must be nice to hit one off. That guy. And just that feeling in general. Bruce, I've never known what that feels like and never will. But our next guest does indeed know that. He joins us on the Alpamani Ford Hotline. Alpamani Ford in Melrose Park. The Hall of Famer and a good friend of myself and of the score, Andre Dawson, joins us from his home in Miami for a few minutes on a Saturday morning. Hawk, good morning. How are you? How's the family? Everybody healthy, we hope. Uh, yeah, everybody's fine. Uh, I'm fine. And like everyone else, we're just riding this thing out. Hey, I was listening to you guys before uh, you came back from break about Clemens. Uh, you know what my stats are against Clemens? Uh, no, <laughs> no, but, but I'm I... sure that you do. <laughs> Go ahead. I think I'm one for one in the All-Star game. I hit a home run off of him in Toronto. He knocked me down with a pitch. And, of course, you know, I just dusted off, got back up. And then he tried to sneak some cheese by me. Uh, and I hit him off the restaurant out in La <laughs> left center field. <laughs> That's, that's so, a great story. That, that, that was that, it. That, 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 that's, that's, the, that's the extent of my confrontations with Roger Clemens. Then, then that, of course, two years, two years later, we were teammates. Yeah, it's funny how that works out in baseball. Andre Dawson, our guest for the next uh, 10, 12 minutes or so on Inside the Clubhouse. Hawk, uh, let's start out with um, what you saw of the Cubs. I know you were only there at the very end of spring training. You were always a uh, a spring training instructor there and a valued one every year. What did you see, uh, any, any difference uh, from from the David Ross run spring training uh, this year to previous ones that you saw under Joe Madden? Did anything stand out? Well, it was business as usual. Uh, as you you know mentioned, I was only there for, I think, six days uh, before everything got shut down. And it was kind of like the same makeup uh, of what we've seen in the past. There were a few uh, additional uh, bullpen pieces uh, that I was interested in to see. Uh, but uh, the lineup, you know, uh, what it's going to be and um, what their capabilities are, and that was that was pretty much the same as going to be in, in tech as they would probably have uh, seen when that, once they broke camp. Uh, but it was it was kind of like business as usual. Um, I didn't see anything uh, particularly different from the short time that I was there. Andre, how long do you think that 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 Cubs would need, that pitchers would need to get ready and be involved in um, in, in baseball when we are to come back? If we are to come back, how how long would you as a position player need to like feel good about your legs and feel good about your body and be ready to play if you had been home working out alone? Well, I don't know what the process is with the guys today, uh, but, you know, we had um, strike shortages uh, that, you know, would cut you know, uh, interfere with some part of the season uh, when I played. And when you think about this, it's been, it'll be a couple of months. You haven't been able to 
get out and do the work that you would normally do under the under the circumstances, under the conditions, because a lot of that wasn't available to you. But you got to find creative ways to at least try as much as you can. Uh, position player-wise, I think the most important thing, uh, because you're going to do uh, your running, obviously, is is timing, is, is, is hitting. And that shouldn't take, you know, no longer than a couple of weeks. Um, the pitchers uh, may need a little bit more time, but the game has changed so much in a sense today that pitchers are on a pitch count. And I think going forward uh, with the idea of expanding rosters uh, initially to um, to make sure that you don't ride or run into too many injuries at the outset of getting started again, uh, you probably will see guys, again, on, on pitch counts and maybe uh, not going uh, as far into games uh, because of the pitch count. So you, you you have that additional pitching with the expanded roster uh, to help uh, along the way. I think total, yes, uh, a few weeks of, um, you know, continuous and, and serious activity on the part of the players, uh, knowing, you know, what the time frame is. I think, you know, it would allow them – enough work to at least be game ready and be able to go out and perform competitively. But like everything, it, it, it's going to, um, it's going to involve a, a lot of uh, adjustments and uh, you can't, you can't create and you can't perform the first half of the season under what's going to be probably a short season. So you can't go out and press to put up numbers. You got to really, really, be smart, play aggressive, uh, team baseball. And what I mean by that is you got to do all of the uh, fundamentals and the essentials to just win the, win the game itself and not, you know, depend on, okay, uh, it's a long season because it's not a long season anymore. And you got to just keep that in mind and you got to play fundamental baseball. And I think what I'm trying to say, you got to play fundamental baseball and make sure you perform the fundamentals that it takes to win ball games. Hawk, uh, we've been hearing an, an awful lot about uh, you know possibly coming back in June as of late and uh, for spring training and then July the game. But uh, the underlying factor that I'm being told is the monetizing of the game and how the players will be paid. Uh, that's going to be. Uh, the infighting that goes on here over the next week or 10 days is to figure out a proper way to play, pay players, knowing that fans won't be in the stands and that the fans' uh, portion of attendance and things around game day is about 40 to 50% of the money taken in, depending on the franchise. Um, You were involved in a lot of these uh, economic situations in the past. You were in the collusion era back in the late uh, 19, uh, late 1980s and how that impacted you and eventually getting money back for that. How difficult uh, is this, do you think, to figure out what they can afford to play, pay players, what they can afford to keep for themselves? 
without alienating uh, fans any further right now? Well, you got to, there's got to be compromise. Um, America's we're at, uh, what the, uh, this pandemic has dictated. Uh, the important thing is getting back on the field and being able to do so under uh, safe circumstances uh, and how, you know, that will further impact going forward. Uh, just how can we withstand uh, what could be so what's what's something that could be real critical going forward? We want to make sure that it's implied we are safe first, mm-hmm. but then you got to compromise as a player. You got to give something back uh, because of you know where we're at at the time and how you sit down and um, you know you negotiate that. Uh, you come to any kind of drawn conclusion. Uh, you got to put you know, uh, the better heads together and make that determination. But I do feel that's got to be compromised because you can't expect to go out and be um, compensated for what your contract calls for. The the situation at hand just doesn't warrant that. Hmm. Uh, Andre, I don't know if you've had a chance to see any of the highlights from the Korean baseball organization um i i have not woken up in the middle of the night to watch the games as much as i uh, miss baseball but i have watched some some highlights and the emptiness of 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 the stands is so weird it's just such an an odd dynamic um but it's still baseball and i'm finding myself like as as awkward as it is life is awkward and if that's what we got to get used to like, I'm still in favor of seeing baseball, and, and I wonder how you think the game sort of presents itself like that. And if people see baseball without fans, I, 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 should, should, should baseball be okay with presenting itself like that, with the oddness, the awkwardness of it? Because, you know, you, you'd rather have the games than not have the games, is how I feel. I wonder how you feel about it. Well, you're exactly right. You'd rather have um, something that you can present uh, to the public because everybody is anxious for the return of the game. Under the same token, as a player, you got to understand. Um, for for me, I look at it like it it will be uh, a B game on the backfield in spring training. But from a player perspective, you got to be all in. I mean, uh, it, it counts. These numbers count, and you know you're out to perform. Uh, will it be easy to to have to get adrenaline or to be motivated to play under those circumstances? That has to come from within, and the only way that's going to happen is if you're all in for what the circumstances present. So I just, you know, I, I feel, in all honesty, you know, if it's baseball being planned, period, you know, it's going to be appealing to the public because it's going to give them another outlet as, you know, people continue to kind of wait out this pandemic. So I just, I just look at it in a sense, and that's why I said it, it, it's up to the individual. you got to, you know, know under the circumstances, um, and you got to go out and you got to perform 
uh, with all seriousness because then now you don't want to risk injury by just going through the motions. Hawk, uh, the Marquee Sports Network, the new uh, station that the uh, the Cubs own and are running, uh, are doing a lot of retro stuff right now. And they also did something on their website this week, the greatest Cub lineup of all time. Uh, make up your, your top lineup of all time. Uh, I had you on mine. It was a tough choice between you and Sammy, but for obvious reasons and for one game, I took you. Uh, in your baseball career and as a kid growing up, who is the one player in your mind that stood up, stood out above the others as far as just overall ability and getting the very most out of it from uh, from your perspective? When you say growing up, do you uh, I mean during my playing tenure uh, as a kid? Yeah, I mean even as a kid, you know, growing up, who who was the, the one player that you said, you know, uh, this is this is the best consummate baseball player I've ever seen or played with. Uh, wow. I tell you what, Bruce, that's, that's hard for me to pinpoint because I was a big fan of Mickey Mantle. I was a big fan of Willie Mays. I was a big fan of Hank Aaron. Uh, those were the names that stood out. Those were the names that were constantly in the headlines even though, you know, I didn't get to see uh, a lot of them, only through maybe a highlight here and there. But you're talking about those were some of the greatest players ever to play the game. And you're talking about maybe uh, top ten. So it it would be hard for me to to just pinpoint one individual. But playing, uh, during my playing career, uh, a guy that really stood out, more so on a consistent basis that I saw very early on was Ken Griffey Jr. Hmm. Uh, and that was kind of at the, the tail end of my career. Uh, it, it's, it's a difficult question to ask, but I would have to revert back to uh, childhood and, you know, I idolized some players that were probably the greatest of all time. Well, all those guys you mentioned, Andre, are guys who like really played well in every facet, real five tool guys. Like people like Hank could run a little bit. He wasn't a, quite as good a base stealer, obviously as, as Willie he wasn't as fast as Willie or Mickey Mantle, but he could, he could throw, he could hit for some average emphasis, like all of those guys and Griffey and you, like you, you really enjoyed every facet of the game, didn't you? And, and, and baseball is at its best when guys are not specialized. Like, oh, here's our lefty slugger, and that's all he does is hit bombs. And then, oh, he might strike out 150 times. We don't care. Like, it sounds like you liked, and I still like, players who can, who can do just about everything there is to do in the game. Yeah, 300 stolen bases, man. Yep. Yeah, well, that's, that's the player um, that, you know, is a difference maker in your lineup. And you can, you know, get production out of any facet of the game. And uh, it's the individual who uh, you kind of not only market your team around, but you show a lot of pride in building your team around. And when you have those kind of interviews, they are, they are rare and few. They only, you know, come along uh, ever so often. But those are the individuals, you know, that, stand out and stand out for obvious reasons you know uh, in closing uh you know we had uh you know some people on you know recently and we we talked to uh 
players about uh, you know T T Terry Francona, the manager of the uh, of the Indians last week, told us about his time with Pete Rose. I know you came up uh, uh, toward the end uh, and played uh, you know with uh, against Pete, and uh, you saw you know the tail end of his career. But w what are your perceptions of Pete, and uh, how do you how do you cut the baby in half from what he did wrong and what uh, the, the great baseball player that he was as far as his Hall of Fame, uh, you know, chances? Well, I'll tell you, uh, I just, Bruce, I, I, I really loved and enjoyed the time, the short time that I spent with Pete Rose as a teammate. And it was so insurmountable uh, what he brought to the table from, uh, a player perspective, just watching him uh, and his day-to-day -day routine, uh, talking to him about the game itself, and, you know, allowing him to be an individual that you could look up to. And to this day, uh, you know, I'm, I consider myself to uh, be fortunate enough to be a friend. And I think what, you know, uh, what I see – and what's going what's going on with uh, Pete and the history of Pete Rose? Uh, he, uh, I, I look at him like he's still a, a, a big kid. There's still a lot of kid in him, uh, but he had so much fun, and he enjoyed the game and brought so much excitement, and rubbed off on you as a player, uh, as a teammate, and it's. In a, in a sense, it's you know it's, it's sad uh, to see what has happened post career with him. I still look at him and I still cherish the relationship that I have with him. And I would be one of the individuals to say, you know, you draw the line somewhere. Uh, do we belong in the Hall of Fame? Um, if you ask me, I would say certainly. Did he break uh, the rules govern? Uh, by uh, the the game itself, I don't know. I don't know what the evidence is, but for me, what he accomplished on the field, on the playing field itself, uh, speaks for itself. And does that necessitate him being in the Hall of Fame? I think so. But under the same token, uh, were the were the rules broken? If uh, depending on who you listen to, yes. But I look at the overall picture of the Hall of Fame itself, and when I think about the Hall of Fame and people that are in the Hall of Fame, are there individuals in the Hall of Fame uh, that were steroid users? Mm -hmm. If I had to sincerely answer that, I would probably say somebody has probably slipped through the crack. So if you're going to have a, a museum based on the production of someone's playing career, then that's what it is. Uh, it's a museum that uh, statistically weighs whether or not you belong in or not, uh, not what have, may have happened uh, post-career. Uh, so I, I look at it in a sense that not only is he a friend of mine, and I'm not speaking uh, on his behalf because he's a friend of mine, but uh, what he brought to the game, what he meant to the game, and you know he's 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 one of the greatest players to ever play the game based on what he did out on the field. 
Hawk, uh, we appreciate you uh, joining us. Matt and I uh, certainly enjoyed this. Stay safe. Um, look forward to seeing you at Wrigley Field sometime this year, knowing that you're working with the Cubs as an ambassador and hoping that uh, you're, you're able to do that and we see each other sooner rather than later. Thanks again for joining us today. Okay, Bruce, it's always my pleasure. Thank you. That's uh, the great Andre Dawson joining uh, Matt Spiegel and Bruce Levine on Inside the Clubhouse. We're here till 11 o'clock, Matt, and uh, we have uh, more for you in the way of uh, what's going on in the game of baseball. Also, Herm Schneider, the trainer for the Chicago White Sox, to talk about training Michael Jordan for baseball. That should be interesting in itself. Yep, looking forward to talking about that at the top of the hour. When we come back, a couple of impressions from uh, some of the Korean baseball organization games that have been everywhere, Bruce. I want to uh, ask some of your thoughts on it and some of the listeners at 312-644-6767. Herm Schneider at the top of the hour. And we'll kick around some of the proposals and hear from a player what he thinks of some of the proposals about baseball's truncated season to come. Well, that'll be next hour. All of that right here on Inside the Clubhouse on 670 The Score. Welcome back in on Inside the Clubhouse on 670 The Score. Bruce Levine, some truly odd sights and sounds this week as the Korean Baseball Organization debuted. And you can find KBO stats on fan graphs. You can find KBO games broadcast on ESPN with Boog Shambi and Eduardo, uh, Eduardo Perez. And you can see in those games rows of painted-on fans in the stands. So like a whole long screen where the seats would be of painted faces, um, all wearing masks, I guess, for the uh, what would be the realness. I mean, for your fake people, you have them all wearing masks still. Um, it, it's a very, very odd thing to watch. The cheerleaders in masks, five or six of them spread out atop the dugout. Um, while me? on the big video board is a Zoom meeting collective of about like 20 yeah. different fans on the video board dancing with them. It's some very odd stuff. It, it is, and uh, I've seen some highlights of it. Um, you know, there's a video, uh, you know, fans, you know, uh, at their homes cheering, and mm -hmm. it's, it is quite bizarre, something like you'd see in a – Maybe in a Tarantino movie or something like that without the uh, blood, I guess. Uh, just <laughs> it's so bizarre um, that, you know, I mean, no one would have even uh, come up with something like this for science fiction of what might occur at a baseball game during a pandemic. Right. I mean, uh, that that is certainly where we're at right now. But it is baseball. I mean, there, there is a the function of it. And most importantly, I think everybody's watching to see uh how the quality of the games go and, uh, you know, the, the, certainly the health of the players and, and the people there and how, how they continue to watch and monitor that. Yeah, what, whether it can be executed or, or not. And um, I'll talk about it a little bit more tomorrow on, on It and Run, just the quietness of it and how awkward it is. But there's also an opportunity from a broadcast perspective that is, is, really, is really interesting. But, you know, uh, we've, we've got other fish to fry, yeah. uh, including... Yeah, I mean, yes, Shambi and, uh, and Perez are doing it from the ESPN, from, from home yes. in the United States, uh, which is, you know, hats off to them for being able to do a broadcast, you know, thousands and thousands of miles away, uh, being partners doing play-by-play -play from their homes. Can you imagine... 
just all the hoops that you have to jump through to be able to do a broadcast like that from your home with a partner who's at his home. It's just, uh, you know, the, the, the surprises and the technical glitches are probably insurmountable. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's amazing that we can get through a two-hour radio show. Frankly, well, we, normally um, we don't. We don't. <laughs> <laughs> After us, um, Steve Rosenblum and Mark Grody are on from 11 o'clock until two. The always entertaining Rosie and Grody from 11 to two. Um, and then after that, at two o'clock, it is maybe my favorite game from 2016 that mm-hmm. wasn't a playoff game. It's the Cubs over the Mariners, seven to six in 12 innings. That's the Brian Mattis game. They basically promised him a start, right? And so Brian yeah, Mattis starts. Cubs are trailing six nothing by the third. Um, but we all we know how that finished. And if not, you should listen. That'll be great fun later yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. I think John Lester gets involved pretty well at the end in that game. And a hell of a slide from Jason Hayward. Yes, um, but we won't tell you but, the ending. We don't want to ruin it for no. you. But it's here no. on the score at two o'clock, as uh, we're, we continue to play. Great Cub games of the past uh, here on the station to keep your baseball uh, feeling going and uh, keep you uh, um, interested in the game for sure. Um, tonight, uh, it, or tomorrow night, it's episodes seven and eight of The Last Dance, and at least one of them is heavily about Michael Jordan and baseball. And I'm very much looking forward to talking to our next guest when we come back, Bruce. Absolutely. Herm Schneider will join us, the trainer for the White Sox for a million years now, emeritus status with the White Sox. He'll join us to talk about MJ and training him. Stay tuned to that, as well as more great talk at 312-644-6767. Text Matt at 670-11. We'll be right back on The Score. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.